We grow when we give. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. Nosotros crecemos cuando damos. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. Welcome to ROG, Return on Generosity. I'm your host, Shannon Cassidy. This podcast celebrates generosity at work, not financial giving. Giving valuable time, mutual respect, alternative perspectives, and genuine collaboration. Our special guest today is Tim Kuchuriak. He's the founder and chief innovation and optimization officer at Next After, a fundraising research lab and consulting firm that works with businesses, nonprofits, and NGOs to help them grow their resource capacity. We met through our commonality, prioritizing generosity. Welcome to ROG, Tim. Shannon, thanks for having me. It's great to be here with you and to get to know you better and to learn from you and your experience. So let's start with a little bit of background on Tim. Tell us about yourself. Sure. So I grew up in Western Pennsylvania and I uh, went to school at Robert Morris College at the time. It's a university now, but I graduated from college right after 9-11, which was a very uh, difficult time to enter into the job force, especially for somebody who wanted to break in the field of marketing and advertising. Fortunately, all during high school and college, I worked at a country club and I like to joke, I had 432 aunts and uncles that were captains of industry. And so uh, <laughs> I went to Uncle Joe, who was the president of the country club and also the president of the second largest ad agency. I said, hey, you know, can you give me a shot? And he's like, will come down and talk to me. Did my little dog and pony show. He's like, man, I'd love to hire you, kid. But we just laid off 30 people yesterday. 9-11 hit our industry hard, our agency harder. Sorry, I can't help you. So I spent like six months kind of wandering in the wilderness trying to find somebody to give me a shot. I met a serial entrepreneur and he said, maybe you could do a few projects for some of these little businesses I operate. I said, that sounds great. And he says, well, why don't you start a business? I said, well, I don't know how to do that. And he's like, well, I do. We've got an incubator on the second floor of our office building. I'll give you a desk. I'll introduce you to people. I'll be your partner and the rest is up to you, kid. So I was like, well, that sounds great. Uh, I've got nothing to lose. I'm living in my parents' basement. I've got nothing else really kind of going on, no romantic interests. And so I started my first business six months out of college called Ambience Interactive. We did a number of different things in the beginning. We figured out who we were and ended up gravitating more towards digital marketing and um, became like a boutique that worked with a lot of general market ad agencies season. Uh, so I did that for about five years. Uh, loved what I was doing. Wasn't really excited about the clients we work with. Um, not that they were bad, but it just, you know, a lot of automotive dealerships and lawyers and, you know, law firms and things like that. But around that five-year mark, my church was doing a capital campaign to build a new building. I volunteered our agency to do all the marketing materials for that campaign. And it was the first time that I was doing something that I felt like I was wired to do, but for a cause I cared about. And so, you know, after you get bit by that bug, it's kind of hard to go back and, you know, make websites for car dealers. So kind of faced this crisis of career. I said, what do I really want to do for the rest of my life now? Um, and a friend of mine had made a bold move. He shut down his financial planning business and went to take a job um, as executive vice president of a nonprofit organization in South Florida. So I called him up and he's like, you know, you should come down here and check this out. And so... Um, Flew down to Fort Lauderdale. There's six inches of snow on the ground in Pittsburgh, and it was like 81 degrees and like perfect. And my interview is at this place called the uh, Ruba Beach Cafe, which is right on A1A, right on the sand. And the sliding glass doors are open, and the sea breeze is blowing through my hair. And I knew it was time to uh, cash in the chips and, and move to Fort Lauderdale. So that's how I kind of got into the nonprofit space. And when I did, what I realized is, is that there's basically these marketing agencies that work exclusively with nonprofits to help them raise money. And I thought that was really cool. Uh, we happened to work with one that was based out of Dallas, Texas, called KMA Direct Communications. 
And I got to know their CEO and he says, hey, why don't you come to Dallas and um, you know, help us start a digital fundraising division? We've been doing direct mail for 30 years, but we want to move into this brave new digital world. Maybe you can help us. So that's kind of how I got into the space. And, and then I eventually started my own firm about nine years ago. Mm. And it's called Next After. Tell us about that. Yeah. So Next After is really three things. Uh, we are a fundraising research lab. We're a consultancy agency and we're a training institute. And so the way our business model works is we do lots of research. So we'll do both forensic research where we're analyzing large amounts of data across the nonprofit sector. And what we're looking for in the data is patterns that lead to opportunities to unlock greater digital fundraising performance. So we're hyper, hyper focused around digital. We believe it's the future of fundraising, but it's still kind of an underdeveloped opportunity. The challenge we've run into is that the kind of data we're most interested in analyzing either doesn't exist or it's not readily accessible. Because what we're interested in is trying to experience the charity of the nonprofit from the donor's point of view. We're trying to get their perspective. So to capture that, we do uh, about four or five times a year, we'll do one of these major mystery donor studies. So simply just go out, subscribe to a bunch of nonprofits, see what they send to us, analyze it, score it, wait for them to ask us to become a donor, giving an initial gift. And then we go online and we'll give mystery gifts between $20 and upwards of $5,000. And then we just continue to monitor how these organizations communicate with us over time. And it helps us to kind of like, you know, really get that perspective of like, what are donors experiencing when they give to nonprofits? And so we take all that research and then we, we kind of uh, move it over to the other part of our research uh, facility, which is really the lab where we test different things. We test different ways of sending a message or different ways of designing a giving experience to try to make it easier and more enriching for the donor. Um, and then we take everything we learn and we bring it over to the two other parts of our company, the agency, where we work with about 38 large nonprofit organizations to help engineer into their programs the things that we find that work. And then obviously our training, which is really about like trying to take all the things we've learned by working with the big guys and make it accessible to every single nonprofit. So mm. there's so much in what you just said there, one of which is around that utilization of big data and analytics and the user experience. So by you engaging in these different nonprofits and experiencing that firsthand about how are they communicating with you? What kind of questions are they asking you? How are they engaging with you? I think that's really interesting. And something else you shared is around your history with going from for-profit organizations to nonprofit organizations. And I've read that you once described the fundraising component of the nonprofit organizations as the dark side. So what could you help us understand about that journey and awareness? Yeah, I think I was naive, honestly. Like I, you know, I thought like many people that fundraising is kind of like this necessary evil. It's something we have to do in order to fund the really important pro-social work that's done in the nonprofit space. But as I got into it and started learning more about it, I was like, wow, fundraising is not a necessary evil. It's almost like a ministry to people. It gives people the opportunity to put their money towards something that is going to impact the world for, for the better, hopefully, right? Or impact somebody for the better. And what it does is it takes us out of this constant consumerism that we're so just in just completely overwhelmed by every single day. I mean, every single message we receive, every single for-profit company on planet earth is trying to get us to part with our money ultimately to enrich ourselves, to, to bless ourselves, to fill ourselves, right? And like, I think when people give money to nonprofits, it's a break from that. It takes them out of that. And instead of looking to my wants, needs, and desires, I have a chance to go and see how I can meet the needs, wants, and desires of other people 
which I think is beautiful. I do too. And you're the first guest we've had on ROG who has a direct affiliation with and runs an organization that helps nonprofits to help people fund and contribute to and understand their generosity strategy. So you're a for-profit organization and you're assisting nonprofit organizations. So I just think that that is a unique lens for us to gain your wisdom from. Yeah, that's correct. And you know what's interesting is, uh, although we work with nonprofits, they are our clients, they do pay our bills, our true customer is really the heart of a donor. And so like what we try to do is become like almost like an ambassador or an advocate for the donor because here's what happens. When you work at a nonprofit organization, you're constantly resource constrained. There's so much like, you know, that you need to do and have to do and want to do to go and advance your cause and you just don't have the resources of like a big for-profit enterprise. And so what happens is, is like we don't have uh, the luxury of being able to stop and think about what's really happening when we're interacting with our donors. And that's what we try to do. We try to use data to help people see what the donors are communicating back to the organization through their behaviors. And many times those behaviors are like, get away from me. You know what I mean? Like you're just constantly asking and badgering me and trying to browbeat me into giving more money. And we don't think that that's good for the nonprofit in the long term, and we know it's certainly not good for the donor. So what we're trying to do is actually create a better partnership between donors and the causes that they care deeply about. Yes, that's so necessary, I think, because it's important for all of us to consider where do we want to invest our time, talent, treasure, right? Where do we want to make an impact? Because I think if we're spread so wide, and we're just sprinkling the infield and we're not actually saying this is something that I deeply care about and I want to be invested in. So many of our guests are focused primarily on how they're doing that with their own teams, employees, their culture, their customers. So there's a couple of things I want to ask about the data. One of them is that if there was a way to decode what makes donors give and help unleash a greater sense of generosity, what is that? Oh, wow. That is the multi-trillion dollar question, isn't it? Right? So, so that's the question that honestly, I'm obsessed with trying to answer. Why do people give? What is it about this irrational decision to go and give my money to an organization or to another individual? And me, as the, the giver of that gift, I don't receive anything tangible usually in return, right? And if you tried to, like if, a, if a, a spaceship landed from planet Mars or something, and we tried to explain, you know, philanthropy to these alien beings, they'd be like, does not compute, does not make logical sense. It's not, it's very irrational behavior. And so that question of why do people give is something I've been obsessing about and we're just scratching the surface. So like we've done like 10 different mystery donor studies. Uh, we've done research with like thousands of different nonprofit organizations. We've published over 3000 online fundraising experiments where we're actually testing in the field with real live nonprofits different versions of different ways of communicating a message or a process. And I feel like we're just scratching the surface because giving is so personal. People do it for different reasons. There is not one reason why people give. Some people give out of a sense of duty or responsibility, especially older generations. They feel like this is what they're actually called to do in a way. Um, some people give out of a sense of, of you know, guilt or remorse or even gratitude, which is the positive side of guilt, right? Some people give out of a, a desire to belong to something. They give out of an extension of who their identity is and how they want to actually like show themselves to the world. They give out of that sense. So there's so many different reasons why people give. 
And so to try to kind of like put a, a finger on like one answer, it's, it's impossible. But I think what we need to do is start to learn more about the different reasons and motivations for why people give and then be able to kind of like adjust our strategy accordingly. I mean, that's really, I think the main opportunity that exists with digital is that we can personalize every single experience. Like we can learn from what Netflix has done and you know, what, what you know, Facebook has done to be able to personalize the experience for every single individual. And that's what we're trying to do. Yeah, that's so, so interesting. And I think that analyzing that and understanding the why for each of the givers on that continuum of reasons is so helpful for all involved, including the giver, right? You're saying that you don't get that tangible, you know, voila, here's here's what your donation um, became, but they do get that sense of knowing something about the organization or building a relationship or having whatever it is that would be fulfilling to them. So they get they get the information. It sounds like you're matching the response to the individual's desire so that they get that satisfaction in the way that would be most useful to them. Yeah, we're trying to. So so we've actually partnered with this uh, research firm out of the UK called the um, Institute for Sustainable Philanthropy. And they have the world's first PhD in philanthropic psychology. So they're advancing a lot of the academic science around why do people give? And basically their thesis is that like there's different ways that you can actually inspire people to give. Some of those ways are probably actually not good for the donor's well-being, right? Like I can go and get you to to give if I get you all riled up and angry and you're upset. Like this is how like a lot of political fundraising works, right? They get people all pissed off and then, you know, you give to this this you know, one candidate so that he can go beat the bad guy, right? Kind of thing. So, and that's that's fine. But like, if you look at the donors that give to the, those uh, political campaigns, they churn, right? They just churn, churn, churn. If we're trying to create like actually a lifetime relationship with a donor, and that's really what the goal of every single 501c3 is to do that, then we need to take a different approach. We need to actually take approaches that may not get as many dollars in the door today, but it's going to uh, feed the donor's well-being and it's going to create a lifetime partnership with the organization, which ultimately will result in more money uh, to the cause. So That's so interesting. And from the data that you've been analyzing and the experiments that you've run, and that's an incredible amount of data that you're generating through your experiments as well. And I know you're saying that you can't generalize this whole thing. What are some of the key things that you steer people towards that you know typically are effective? Absolutely great. So, so we've really kind of cracked the code on a lot of what I'd call hygiene, like good kind of like communication hygiene. So one thing that is kind of a meta finding from all of our work, and it's going to sound very simplistic, but it's actually quite profound. People give to people, not to websites, not to email campaigns, not to social media posts, not to direct mail. People give to people. And I think what happens sometimes when we think about mass communication, we lose our humanity and our quest for efficiency, right? I just see every single donor as a number inside of a spreadsheet. And so when I take that approach, I'm just kind of like, you know, I use terminology like my target, right? I use terminology like I'm going to email blast you. You know what I mean? Like this is like, this is the kind of language we use. And like, that's not really good. That's not, I mean, I don't want to be blasted by anybody. I don't know. I don't think you do either, Shannon. I don't want to be targeted either. Yeah, I, or targeted, right. And so uh, what we try to do is get people to reconnect with their humanity. And so I'll give you a very simple thing that we've tested over and over again. We tested with dozens of organizations, different countries, different languages. If you look at most nonprofit fundraising emails, and little known secret, email is the 
main driver of revenue for nonprofits online. So if you look at what their fundraising emails look like, they're highly designed. Lots of images, graphics, buttons, calls to action. You know, if they're a large enough organization, the copy sounds like it's written from a professional copywriter because it usually in fact is. And the problem with that approach is that when a potential donor sees that in their inbox, all they see is somebody trying to market to them. But people don't want to be marketed to. I don't. You don't. Nobody does. People want to be communicated with. And so what we've tested and found to be incredibly effective is getting rid of all the marketing veneer. Get rid of the images, the graphics, the buttons, and even rewrite the message so it sounds like it comes from one human to another human. Three, four, 500% increase in donations in head-to-head A-B split tests. I'm not joking. Uh, so, so it's simple things like that that just really make a huge difference and they fly in the face of conventional wisdom. And that's why testing is so valuable, so important, is because it helps us to unlock some of these breakthroughs. When we come back, Tim will share about the return on generosity. Introducing the brand new QuadPod Podcast Network. At QuadPod, we have a variety of podcasts that are as unique as you. Visit QODPOD.com. The QuadPod Podcast Network. That's QODPOD.com. And we're back with Tim Kaciriak, founder, chief innovation and optimization officer at Next After. We do lots of these different experiments, right? So we're testing different things. And I used to think I was a pretty smart marketer. You know what I mean? That I've like, I know some stuff. I am so, I'm, I'm not surprised anymore, but I was so surprised at how very wrong I am most of the time, right? So I think the biggest thing that I've learned from all of this and this incredible journey is just a dose, a, a big giant dose of humility, right? And honestly, this hu- like humility has, has become so liberating to me personally. And I think for our firm, because like, here's the thing, when you hire a consultant, when you hire an agency, you look at them, you think that they have all the answers, right? And deep down inside of my own heart, I know I don't, right? And I'm just as scared as you are, right? And so when, when I discovered testing and just being able to use the web as a laboratory, I said, look, I don't, I don't know if I have all the right answers. I don't think you do either, but you know what? We're going to go find them together. Let's get all the best ideas on the table, right? And let's go put them to the test in the market and let's let the donors, the customers teach us what works and what doesn't work. And that is so, I can't tell you how incredibly liberating that is. Like for, for as, and honestly, how disarming it is too, right? Because like when, you know, you're a consultant, you go in there and like, you have all this pressure on you and then you feel like you're only as good as your most recent campaign or strategy or whatever, right? But when you say, look, we, I don't have all the answers. You don't either. I know some stuff, you know some stuff and probably people on your team do. So let's go ahead and get them all out on the table and test them. It's awesome. Yeah. So you do that internally as well. You say, so someone say your leader for whatever function comes to you with an issue. I mean, you could just very candidly and transparently say, I don't really know, but let's figure it out. And you roll up your sleeves and you're like co-creating a solution. Is that typically how it would play out, Tim? Yeah, we have some basic things that we've learned over time. So there's this low hanging fruit. So any nonprofit that we work with, like our first thing that we do is we do an audit and we kind of like say, okay, here's all the things that we can fix easy. I mean, this is easy pickings. We're going to just pick money up off the ground, right? But then it gets a little bit more challenging, right? Because every organization is different. 
Every donor base is different. Every individual donor is different. So that's when it says, okay, we have to now move beyond just this best practice and start to move towards better practices for your specific organization. And that's where this collaboration and this, you know, this joint kind of uh, brainstorming thing really comes into action. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So you talk about communication hygiene and one of the number one rules is that people give to people. So just tell us a little bit more and why that understanding the uniqueness of each case and each individual is so important. Well, I mean, you you said the exact magic word. It's like we need to be able to articulate a very personal story, right? If we're going to get people to actually be activated, the most effective way to do that is by telling stories. There is uh, lots of really interesting science that explains the reason why stories are so very powerful because it activates this vagus nerve, which releases oxytocin inside our brain. And there's been research done where they've actually dosed people with oxytocin and they had like a control group that got a placebo and both groups got a certain sum of money and they could decide to keep all the money for themselves or they could give some to a cause that they cared about. And the people that were dosed with oxytocin, 80% more generous than those who were not. So if I'm a fundraiser, I need to figure out how do I get all my donors high on oxytocin? And the number one way you can do that is by telling a very compelling story. So storytelling is like our currency in the nonprofit space. And it's a craft that you know we have to continually get better and better at. And honestly, th- that's why, again, where testing becomes very powerful is that we can actually test different ways of telling the story and be able to monitor how that actually leads to, you know, engagement results and ultimately dollars for the cause. So are there other things that you've learned through your research that are best case scenarios or ways in which you have consulted and guided people to make a greater connection? Because I do see a parallel between what you're teaching us and how that shows up in the workplace. So I'm just curious to hear some other nuggets of wisdom or things that you've decided. These are just like that communication hygiene that are really top priorities. So that's a great question, Shannon. So out of all of our testing and all of our research, the number one thing that really moves the needle in a significant way is how effectively the organization communicates their value proposition. Okay. And this spans both for-profit and nonprofit. So this, this is true of any single organization on planet earth. Okay. And what we've learned about the value proposition is that there's four key dimensions of an effective value proposition. There's appeal. It's got to be something people like that they want. It's a change they want to see made in the world, right? So that's appeal. It has to be, there has to be exclusivity, right? Uh, Meaning like this organization has to have a unique, different approach to be able to solve this problem. Because if they're just one of many different competing options, the appeal of their cause is diluted by the number of competing options, right? So appeal and exclusivity have a kind of a special relationship. And then the the other two components are uh, credibility. They have to believe that you are going to do what you say you're going to do. This is why, you know, like all those efficiency metrics and little pie charts and stuff you always see on nonprofits website is like, you know, 80 cents out of every dollar goes to the field, to the cause or whatever. We're trying to kind of like establish that you can trust us. We're going to deliver on our promise and your dollars are going to be well stewarded and spent. And then the final piece is clarity. And this is the one that I think that most nonprofits and for-profits alike struggle with, right? Because if we can get the donor to understand the reasons why they should give a gift to the organization, 
not only will more people give, and we have evidence and data that suggests that that's 100% true, but also they'll give larger gifts. And that's a cool thing about being a nonprofit is that we don't have a fixed price. We benefit from price elasticity. The donors decide how much they're going to give. And so if I can convey a stronger value proposition, not only do I get more people to say yes, they say heck yes, and they give in bigger amounts. So that's a huge piece. So you're in a prime position to help us to understand the return on generosity. Where do you see and how do you quantify what the return on generosity is? Well, I mean, I'll speak to it from, from our own company. So working in the nonprofit space, like I want our team and our company to corporately practice generosity. And I also want to teach our staff to individually practice generosity. So there's a few things that we've engineered into our company to be able to kind of model that. The first is, uh, you know, we give 10% of all of our profits away to back to nonprofit organizations. And every single member of our staff gets to participate in doing that. So we'll pick two or three people every single month and they get to pick like their top charities. And we're able to give like, you know, larger gifts, one to $5,000 gifts to these charities of their choice. And they get to tell a little story about why it's important to them. And, and it's really a great like celebration at the end of every single month. It's interesting to see how personal giving is uh, with every individual person. Uh, and so that's that's one thing we do. But then even beyond that, like, you know, we, we generate all of this content, all of this research, all of this testing, and we've open sourced all of it. And we just try to make as much available to the nonprofit space as possible because I believe that generosity is never going to come and bite you in the ass. You know what I mean? It is never a bad strategy. And I just sent out an email yesterday, Shannon. Uh, I was, yeah, I, had, I just had a question. I was like, I wonder what people think about our brand. So I just sent an email to 66,000 or actually uh, only 27,000 people. And uh, I just said, hey, uh, we're doing some branding research. Can you tell me like, what do you think of when you think of next after? And like, in less than 24 hours, I have like 600 responses and I'm going through every single one of them. And it's so powerful, so insightful. But one of the big you know, themes that's coming out is you are so generous with your content. I have been able to take something that you've shared either in a webinar or in an ebook or in one of your online courses. And it's been a game changer for me. And like, that is like so enriching. And guess what? Those people are going to move to other nonprofits. Maybe they work at a small one now. They'll work at a large one in the future. And guess who they're going to call when they need help with digital fundraising? They're going to call next after, right? So it's not a bad strategy to be generous with your knowledge, your insights, and your, you know, your treasure, right? Because I, I don't think it ever comes back to bite you. Agreed. It's, it's that the rising tide raises all boats. The, the, the greater you can influence, the more you help them to do their mission, which is really the purpose of the whole initiative anyway, but it also has that reciprocity and, it, and that reward of getting words like that sent back to you in the email to say, here are the words that I think of when I think of next after. And the word generosity being, you know, if it were like a word cloud is the word that just keeps expanding. And I think that's so terrific. So where can people learn more? Where can people invest their time and energy to understand more about what you're doing and how to benefit from your incredible resources? Sure. Yeah. I mean, the, the simplest place is just to go to our website, nextafter.com. Um, our entire catalog of all of our experiments is available there. You can access all that, all of the studies we've ever we've performed. There's tons of other resources for people who want to go deeper. There is eight different certification courses in digital fundraising optimization. So um, it's all there waiting for you. <laughs> yes. Yes. 
Well, thank you so much for the work that you're doing, for the ways that you're making such a massive contribution and for investing your time and energy in informing us and sharing your story with us. Well, thank you, Shannon. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you. ROG takeaway tip, how to apply what we've learned to our own work and lives. Tim shared many nuggets of wisdom. People give to people, not companies. Have you ever hosted a mentoring program in your organization or industry? It starts with concepts and visions like senior leaders helping junior leaders, or in the case of reverse mentoring, junior leaders supporting senior leaders. It all sounds good, but it's not that compelling until the applications are reviewed, participants selected, pairs matched, and the program launches. The second thing is, why do we give? Of the reasons that Tim offered, which resonates with you the most? One, obligation. You feel a sense of duty or responsibility to give back. At work, you may mentor or help someone in order to pay it forward. Someone helped you and you want to do your part. Two, guilt or gratitude. The guilt of, I have so much abundance, I don't want to be selfish. Or the flip side, I have more than enough and I want to share my abundance with others. At work, I define team as anyone who works for this organization and I'm grateful for them. I give as a servant leader who prioritizes people. Or number three, identity. I am a giver. I am generous. Other reasons could be mission-driven. You know that there's a need for the mission and it does good work. Your full-time job, volunteer efforts, or philanthropy help to enable that mission. And lastly, when you want to engage people and make impact, tell compelling stories. You'll spark up serotonin levels, which makes all of us feel good. Until next week, stay generous, everyone. Thanks for listening to ROG, Return on Generosity podcast. Please help us grow by subscribing and reviewing us on your favorite podcast player. And for more information, visit bridgebetween.com. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. We grow when we give.